0: This episode is sponsored by Contently, some of my my best pals in content marketing, actually, and they are my best pals for one specific reason they pay us money. No, I'm just kidding. Well, they do that too. But they actually care about making better content, not just more stuff. And Contently and I have riffed on this for years, and we finally found an excuse to work together on this show. So Contently serves brands like Google, Dell, and Marriott, who use their platform for workflow and also for their predictive model, which suggests which content formats work best on which channels for your audience. But my favorite part of their work is that they have this amazing course this content strategy course which covers the creative and the distribution side and it's both hilarious and smart i mean it's very entertaining and valuable like for example one of their editors dressed up as batman they did a man on the street segment in times square it's weird but wonderful so you can check out their course and support this show at contently.com slash three clips that's the number three the word clips There is a form fill, but Contently has also written a post about how much they hate what usually happens after you fill out a form. So I think they'll treat you well. Contently.com slash three clips. And thank you for supporting our show.
1: What do you do for a living? It's a simple question, right? I'm a doctor or I'm a lawyer or... I'm a professional evangelist for marketers making better shows so they can become their customers' favorite brands or something pithy like that.
0: (laughs) Don't know who would hold that job. But as anyone with any job knows, making a living is about so much more than that one title, the thing you put on your LinkedIn or business card. When you think about it, how you choose to make a living is really about how you choose to make your life.
1: And when you think about it that way, that question, what do you do for a living, suddenly becomes much heavier and the answers become much more interesting.
0: So how do you get that from your guests? I mean, as a showrunner, we need the good stuff from the people we talk to or even from ourselves. So how do you coax people or maybe yourself into telling that heavier stuff, the the more interesting stuff? That is, how do you record the stuff that really matters? This is Three Clips. Welcome to Three Clips, where we make sense of great podcasts a few little pieces at a time. It's a show about shows from marketing showrunners. MSR Marketing Showrunners serves marketers who want to find and share their voice, who want to make a difference with the marketing work that they do, and to shift the culture for the better. In other words, we want to help you make your audience's favorite show so you can build their favorite brand. I'm Jay Aconzo, founder of Marketing Showrunners, and joining me today is Molly Donovan,
1: Hi, I'm Molly Donovan, Managing Editor of Marketing Showrunners. As a reminder, you can stay up to date on what we're up to by joining folks from Red Bull, Adobe, Salesforce, MailChimp, the BBC, and more by subscribing to our newsletter, MSR Monthly. Head to our website, marketingshowrunners.com or click the link in our show notes.
0: Today, we deconstruct I Make a Living, a weekly podcast from FreshBooks, broken into seasons. And FreshBooks, as you may or may not be aware, creates invoicing and accounting software For small businesses. And thankfully, and no offense meant here, FreshBooks, thankfully, this podcast does not talk about invoicing or accounting at all. And we're going to talk about this idea that we're too boring to make a show is a BS excuse, people, because FreshBooks makes a pretty good show and they're pretty boring if you really look at their product. But to really understand their show, let's move now to the first section of our episode, the facts of the show. So Molly, what should we know about this podcast from FreshBooks?
1: I Make a Living is a show for people who work for themselves, the freelancers and solopreneurs figuring out what it means to make a living on their own. Until recently, the show was hosted by Darby Masters. She's a professional podcast editor, producer, and host. In its second season, the show launched with a new host, Demona Hoffman, a dating coach and media personality. In warm personal interviews with small business owners, both Darby and Damona, tap into the self-employed community and explore the opportunities and challenges inherent to running your own business. The authentic feeling conversations are interspliced with scripted narrations and a strategically added soundtrack. Past shows have centered on running a business as a married couple, discussions on how to manage your time and scale your business, and insights on how to make a compelling pitch for your company. The show comes out every Monday and episodes run about 30 to 40 minutes. I Make a Living launched in January of 2019, but took a hiatus in July. Its second season launched with new host, Demona, in January of 2020. There are some things this show does super, super well, and some things that it could probably stand to do a little bit better, which brings us to our next segment.
0: Yes. So this next segment is uh, an experiment. We're not sure we're going to do it on an ongoing basis. Maybe it'll appear once in a while. We're going to keep experimenting on this show until we feel like we've really nailed it. So let us know if you like these segments or anything about the show. But we're going to call this segment The Wheel of Superlatives.
1: Ah, Yes, The Wheel of Superlatives. In this segment, we wonder, what does this show do extremely well or extremely not so well? To pick today's superlative, we will spin our totally real and definitely not just a sound effect wheel. Jay, would you tell our listeners one fact about the wheel that we couldn't possibly know unless it was, in fact, real? It's round. (laughs) Yeah, that checks out. (laughs) All right, let's spin the wheel.
0: Okay, today's superlative is weirdest flex Weirdest flex. Molly, why weirdest are we are going to explore here?
1: Okay. So I was listening to an episode of season two and it was going very well until about 20 minutes in. And I was a little bit confused by an insertion that the show made. They had a mid episode read of an Apple podcast review of the show itself.
0: Mid episode. Mid
1: episode. Kind of also not Not even like a commercial break. It was really just kind of tried to awkwardly transition from what they were talking about into the review.
0: Okay, let's play that section, which we're going to dub their weirdest flex.
1: Okay. Speaking of word of mouth, thanks to our listener DBR 2020 for leaving us an Apple podcast review. DBR says the topics and content are so relatable. This podcast really makes me feel the sense of small business community, even though I work alone all day. I know I can relate to DBR. Hopefully you can too. We love having you as a part of this community, and we would love to know what you think of the new season. You can leave your review on whichever platform you're listening to us right now, and that will help us to reach new people and keep
0: growing the I Make a Living community. So I'm physically uncomfortable now. (laughs) What? Why?
1: I don't know, because it was it was going really well. I thought the episode was great. I was really involved. And then this actually made me want to stop listening because I, I just feel like it's weird to interrupt a good experience to tell somebody who's listening to you, look at these other people who've had this good experience. I am not saying you can't interrupt your podcast to do an ad. We, I do, it. we do it or a you know another segment or even to promote something that you have at your company or on your site but to just interrupt to read somebody else's opinion of the show it d- just it did not land for me Jen Right
0: there like there should have been so so there's two ways to approach this but it all speaks to the need to do one thing so let's talk about the one thing first and then we'll talk about the two ways to approach this the one thing is as you pointed out one coherent flow which is the word i would use like the experience that any little thing you do you're trying to be conscious of the fact that at any moment people can bail. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is most marketers will stuff too many calls to action and too much housekeeping early because they're like trying to squeeze the time it takes between you hitting play and them delivering the marketing message. Sure. Which is a backwards way of looking at it, right? Like you're not earning the trust. You're just like leaping too soon to all this information about you, right? right. You're running an ad essentially exactly. about yourself. It's it's like, okay, that, that's the wrong extreme. But the other way to look at it is when people hit play. There's only really one other activity, which is to hit stop. Yes, there's skip and jump and you know fast forward. But really, you're trying to stay paranoid as a host at all times that something you do or say is going to cause people to hit stop. And so you're now in the mode of purchasing little moments of attention. You do this enough, you get them to the end. And that's the golden rule. Get them to the end. When somebody's in flow, you've won. Like They're so excited. They're not even considering other things in their life, which is incredible because there's no screen they're looking at right? They are interacting with other things in their life. And yet you are the dominant thing. They are actively listening to you. Amazing. So if you just randomly insert this glorified praise for yourself and there's no context, now you're noticing the production. Now you're noticing what are they doing? You're snapping the listener out of the flow and they're immediately thinking about what the hell, like they're noticing the production. So that's the one issue, flow, get them to the end. But the two ways to do this are, one, add a little transition on either side of it, right? And or two, tease that something is coming up that you want to know so desperately as a listener that you will stick around for this little interruption, right? You can do one or both. I would recommend trying both. Like That's where we leave this person's story. Coming up after this quick break, we'll tell you X, Y, or Z. Don't be sensational. But make sure you're giving people a reason to listen beyond what is ultimately an interruption.
1: And I think that's fine. I think that interrupting, as as we say, is an okay thing to do and you can do it right. But this too, I think that if somebody's listening to your podcast, then it's safe to assume that they may have read reviews of your podcast already.
0: Or they don't care. Or they Because they're care already listening. Yeah. So they don't
1: care. It's just, a, it's a strange, you know, content-wise and substance-wise, it's a strange thing to elevate so, and to interrupt with.
0: That is such a good point. Yeah. Why this content in particular? It's not an ad. It's not, hey, check out our new product at FreshBooks. I get it. You're justifying the cost of the, the podcast by talking about your product a little bit, running an ad inside of the show. Adobe's Wireframe podcast does this all the time. I think it's great. They do it tactfully because they continue to help you get the, the, the flow, even though they interrupt it. They continue to build that apparatus of like the music transition, the verbal transition, all of it. In this case, yeah, not only is the production choice a little weird, it's the content they insert into this moment, which makes no sense at all. Like The only reason you would read a rating and review on a show people are already listening to is to shout that person out and build community. Like, thanks, Molly, for rating and reviewing our show, sure, right? Sure. And maybe you encourage more people to do so.
1: So put it at the end. And maybe that's what they're trying to do, because maybe that's part of their overarching
0: mission of yeah, the so show is the to end. build
1: community. But right. I agree with you, because I think the way they did it this way, it just it was a weird flex. So you might call it the weirdest flex.
0: Yeah. Nice review. Weird flex.
1: Weirdest. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, do you know what I like about you?
0: Uh... Okay, this part should have been scripted. (laughs) My unfailing wit. I always have a quip ready to go. That's what you like about me. That's
1: exactly right. But also that you and I believe the same thing, which is creativity is just the sum total of lots of hidden choices and little wins. So to help us all master the craft of creating great podcasts, let's deconstruct this show and try to make sense of it a few little pieces at a time. We'll play three clips one at a time and find some hidden gems we should all carry with us back to our work.
0: And since today is a show from FreshBooks, I've picked out, as always, an appropriate transition sound effect to bring us into and out of our clips today. Uh, let me just play it for you, Molly, and our listener friend. Pretty perfect, right? It yeah, I
1: would say so. Yeah. yeah for accounting software, yeah. for sure. Yeah.
0: Uh, we all use old-timey cash registers in our businesses. Every single day. All of us. So, okay. Let's go to the first clip from an episode titled Failure. Okay, so just a little context. This is the very first moment of this episode, literally from the jump. And in this clip, Season 1's host Darby Masters talks to I think people on the street or it might have been on at, at an event series run by Freshbooks because they also have an event series called I Make a Living. Could so be. so it's either they either she went on the street and did a woman on the street segment or this is at their event. Either way, you're going to hear some background noise. So she goes to these people and identifies, you know, the theme of the episode to the listener while conducting these kind of drive-by interviews with small business owners who have failed. So let's hear that clip.
2: As an entrepreneur, as a small business owner, have you experienced failure? What was that like if you have? And can you give us any details?
1: My husband and I own a trucking company and we failed. And I think we failed with understanding how it is managing our people. And it was hard. And I feel like having that experience, I would now say that you should fail more. So the first thing I noticed about this clip is that the show started with a cold open, which we are kind of all for here at Marketing Showrunners. And I thought it was on the street, but listening again with the context that you provided, I think you're right. I think it probably was at their event. But it's nice because it situates the listener right away in the space where the interview is taking place. So you hear that ambient noise in the background. I'm already curious. I kind of feel like I'm there, even if I don't know where I am. But it also, to me, weirdly kind of made the show feel more legit because it feels like Darby is doing some real investigative reporting, even if that's not the case, even if it was staged, which who knows, maybe it was, but she tricked me.
0: <laughs> and I also think that cold opens, I mean, the intention of a cold is to grip you right away, thinking about, and this is an example I've cited before. So if you've listened to the show a while, you've heard this one, but I think it's the best example, the show Breaking Bad and their cold opens were unbelievable. Like they didn't explain what Breaking Bad was about to you, they, they didn't summarize the forthcoming episode, and they would just drop you into a scene that created intrigue and it would create questions in your mind or excitement for what was to come. That's the goal when we open is to put the best stuff forward, or at least intrigue and ask questions or provide such great production value that you're like, oh, I can sense the quality. And so here, I wrote out a list of questions that this cold open created in my mind. And they're good questions that actually enhance the listener experience. So where am I? You're hearing the ambient noise, a lot of people in the background. Where am I? Who, who are they? Why are they important? Oh, they ran a trucking company, and then they failed. Well, how did they fail? Okay, clearly. This is the theme of the episode because we all know it. It's in the title when we click play. So how did this company fail? Oh, okay, managing people. And like, man, I can relate to that. Like, oh, like more questions come. Well, what did she mean fail more? Like they never just satisfy you. They're always giving you something more. And it's not like this interview subject was in on the edit, right? Right. That she wasn't pulled aside ahead of time, I'm guessing, to be like, okay, so we're going to record you for our cold open. The purpose of a cold open is to do this. It was just a real moment that was captured with missing context. And the key, though, is you have to pay off the missing context later.
1: Yeah. I mean, here's a spoiler alert for this episode, but we don't hear from that woman again, which makes me think that this was a little bit of an open loop where I wanted to close it by the end. And I wanted to hear more about that woman's story because she says something provocative. She says, if I could do it again, I basically would fail more. And that is counterintuitive. You wouldn't think that that would be something that an entrepreneur would advocate for. But then we don't we don't find out why. Other guests later on in the show kind of answer that question about why failure has been beneficial to them. And the host talks in a scripted way about some of the reasons that failure can be beneficial and how you can turn failure into a success. But we don't hear from this lady again. and i'm I'm kind of, uh, I kind of wish we had.
0: It was it created an opportunity for a callback. Callbacks are so, I think they're irresistible moments where you lead with something and then you bring it back later. Even if the thing you led with, the listener or viewer thought was completed, like you didn't have anything hanging when you bring it back later. You know, I, I do this in my keynotes, actually. I lead with a story about Death Wish Coffee and it's a complete story. And later, I I hope in a delightful way, I don't know. uh, I've just started doing it this year. I say, you know, recently I got a chance to actually meet the team at Deathwish for the first time and I show some video footage. And the audience, having gotten to know the characters in the beginning of the speech, I think appreciate how we're getting to know them in a different level and bringing back the themes and the people again in an unexpected way. And so you position it as a callback. Like even if listeners don't anticipate it, something you introduce at the beginning can kind of bookend the whole episode. And it makes for a really good experience. And there are some things that she does well, the host here. Like one of the things I love that she does about two minutes after this clip is she explains the concept in plain language, this idea of failure. She acknowledges that there's a conventional wisdom. Like most people can speak to failure in theory and you know, failure build, builds character. There's all these platitudes about theory. But today we're going to go into the details of what it actually looks like. Well, we just were given a promise of getting those details from this woman. Like, fail more? What do you mean? You you failed managing people? What do you mean? And we never actually got those. So, even the host is acknowledging that this goes on. But if you look back a few seconds as the host and producer, you'd be like, oh, we just kind of committed that issue too.
1: One thing I think that's demonstrative of for this show in general, not just this episode, is that it's a pretty positive show. So, across episodes and across topics fresh books is not trying to paint a doom and gloom portrait of entrepreneurship right. it's really positive and i think doing that with failure which you could, you know could be something that feels really heavy and could dissuade some people from going down this road you get the idea pretty early on that that's not what they're going for and that's a theme that kind of sets a tone for the entire show
0: And here's something that we do too little as marketers and makers of shows that I think they actually do well. And if you were to continue listening to that same coherent clip, you would get this. When when introducing a concept that others are familiar with, like failure in business, the episode is only worth you creating if you're saying something unique. Mm. Like, don't do it because... It's a check in the box. Here's a list of topics that people expect us to cover. And I think often the best way to do it is not to concoct some grand new idea. The best way to do it is to diagnose the problem, whereas most people talk about the symptoms. Yeah. So it's easy to say people talk about failure. There's platitudes about failure. Well, we learn from failure. This is an episode about learning from failure. That's been picked over. Yep. People get that, right? They might agree with it, but why would they continue to listen? So I think what this episode does particularly well is they acknowledge there's conventional wisdom around this theme of failure. We are acknowledging that because now we're going to try to figure out, can we get deeper? Yes. Can we improve our understanding of this thing? That's a brilliant way to use common themes, right? For sure. You diagnose, you go deeper. As, As a speaker, this is something we call the hidden truth, where you basically get on a stage, you're like, we all want this shared goal. Yep. Everyone's nodding. Here's the status quo of how we get it. Yep. Everyone's nodding. Well, here's the problem with the status quo. Oh, my goodness. Everyone's gasping. Oh, my goodness. So what do we do now? Well, here's the diagnosis. Here's the real hidden truth. Yep. Interesting. Hadn't considered it that way. I'm kind of disagreeing or I'm confused. But please, you now have my permission to continue exploring this diagnosis further, right? Because it's new to me. That's what you want to do as a show host when you bring up a common trope like failure. Don't just say what everyone's thinking and run back what everyone expects. Try to go a level deeper, diagnose the problem, and make your show about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember the thing that you said you, you like about me is that I have this, this wit available at all times? Yes, yeah, exactly. okay, Clearly, it's failing me right now. <laughs> uh, so the last thing I want to say about this episode or the structure of the whole show is that every episode selects a theme, but they're so in danger If you think about this style show of blending in and not picking a theme per episode, because ultimately, what is it? A business success show. Mm -hmm. Think about most B2B podcasts. You can just kind of like name them all the same thing, talking topics with experts. Every time somebody comes on because they're smart and successful, and they tell you how to become smart and successful, generically, what FreshBooks does is they take a theme and they let the theme lead, not the guest, which is another great thing. Here's the value for you, listener. Here's why you would self-select this show. And we will then go find guests that can speak to the theme. And I think that's a subtle tweak that more business shows especially, but certainly all shows created by marketers, can adopt. It's not just a cavalcade of people you roll out to speak generically about the same stuff. It's about leading with something people truly care about in the same way your cold open should and matching the guests to that theme.
1: I think that's so smart. And I also think that relieves some pressure from marketing teams who think, Oh, I can't make a podcast or I can't make a video series because I'm not going to get these big name guests to appear on my show because I'm a small company or I'm, you know, a relatively niche company.
0: Or you're late to the industry and everyone's already heard from these people. Or you got all those people. And now what happens? The show gets worse because the names get
1: worse? Yeah, no. And when you make it so that the guests are supporting characters, supporting your overarching points and your theme, you're right. I think you can do a lot more and it opens a lot more possibilities.
0: Right. And I think this is an echo of mass media. So when you have a large media company or show, whether it's entertainment or business or whatever the category the celebrities our guests like real celebrities you know and it could be the ceo of famous company x or it could be an actual actor musician or whatever sure. that makes sense lead with if you have matt damon on your show lead with matt damon yeah, right lead With Matt Damon, because you're like i got matt damon how do you like them apples
1: <laughs> oh wow
0: see what i did that I recording do here see what you did there. we are based in That's boston if you can't tell yeah but most of us are not featuring like if i come on a show Kudos for me for having some additional Twitter followers compared to somebody else. Who cares, right? Like lead with the value to your audience. Most of us are not making Larry King's show. So don't lead with the guest. We're just sort of trained to do that. And to me, I think it actually makes no sense. And to your point, you're protected if you don't. I, th- I think we picked over clip I one. Think you're right. All right, cool. <laughs> Let's go to clip number Molly, why don't you introduce the context behind this clip before we play it?
1: Sure. So this clip is about the importance of mental health for everyone. And in this case, particularly for entrepreneurs, it highlights that failure can have significant ramifications for entrepreneurs' mental health. And it also posits that it's something that really should be taken into consideration. So the guest, Sam, then discusses his own experience with mental health.
2: Nowadays, there is a lot of research and science to back up the necessity of mental health. So legitimizing the existence of mental health seems redundant and not how we're going to structure today's episode. Instead, we're going to talk about failure and hardship, understanding that mental health is a part of the conversation. We'll highlight just a few mental roadblocks that hinder people from moving past failure, or at least the fear of it. So let's get back to Sam and his story.
3: I've had really trying moments in my career typically around investors or external capital i had somebody come into my business that was going to invest a bunch of money into it and like change all of our lives and that guy ended up being a crook and that money didn't show up and we were relying on it it was a comedy of errors and in hindsight you know you learn a lot but there was a moment in my career where i really thought i couldn't make payroll for money that was promised I couldn't move on, and that was a a real trying moment. It was really interesting for me in that moment because what I learned was I had built relationships with the people that I worked with over a really long time. At that point, like eight, nine years, and they were good relationships, and they were meaning, they were honest relationships. And in that moment where I thought I lost everything, I was reminded how if you make good investments and real investments in people and treat people well and take care of them, they'll take care of you.
0: Mm, Okay. A lot to say on this one. Yeah, Let's start by addressing the content, like what is said, and then we'll probably have some meta lessons about how they say it and what we can learn as podcasters. So I love that they acknowledged before the quote from Sam, that they are not going to try and justify the validity of mental health. They're just going to treat it as equal to physical health. Yeah. And the reason I love, I mean, there's a lot of reasons I love that, but for example, my wife is a PhD in clinical psychology and she studies things like PTSD and anxiety. And she and I have often talked about how if somebody was suffering from a mental illness and a symptom of that was a tiny blue dot appeared on their forehead, like a little mole that was blue. All of a sudden, everybody would never question the validity of somebody's mental health and the need to take mental health seriously. And you know, even better, I think the crackpot armchair therapy, which is rampant, would go away. Like, Sure, there's a few crackpot theorists around physical health, but there's a lot more around mental health and even some of the bogus stuff that comes from people that sound smart and are well-meaning and they're like a former executive that now coaches other executives, for example that they don't have a degree. They don't know exactly what they're talking about. They heard a theory once or they they speak calmly and in soothing fashion and so it sounds like they're helping you. And look, the placebo effect is real. So if they help you, they really help you. But there's a conflation especially with the kind of guruification of everybody like everyone's an influencer and you're like there's this conflation of they sound like they're saying smart pithy things on Instagram and they clearly know what they're talking about when it comes to health. I mean, give me a break. So this stuff requires real research and clinical professionals, not Brittany who supplements her yoga classes online by posting inspirational quotes to Instagram and calling herself a therapist, right? Yeah, exactly. Anyways, I could rant against this for a while, but I love that that's, that's what they said. They led with that.
1: I like that too. And I like that they, as a company that makes accounting software, they are exploring this topic and they're talking about it in their show. It could feel like something that's kind of outside their wheelhouse, but I think by doing it by having this conversation, they're showing a commitment to reaching the kind of air quote whole person of their prospective customer who could be their listener. Yeah. And that makes me feel like the show is trying to do something that matters on a deeper level, which is something that we urge marketers to do no matter what company they're in. And it doesn't feel like FreshBooks is just trying to sell more subscriptions to FreshBooks. They're trying to create something better.
0: There's this phrase that someone said to me once a few years ago. I wish I remember who it was, which is essentially like we're trying to market to the whole person. And I even think that makes it sound a little transactional and icky, right? Market to, like you're doing it to someone. But but point taken and the context was treating people like they are people Mm -hmm. is a phrase we hear a lot in marketing. I don't think we often know what it means. It doesn't mean have a friendly tone of voice. It doesn't mean be bubbly. That's exactly right. When you and I first met. You know
1: my pet peeve.
0: The infantilization of marketing is something you mentioned to me is such a pet peeve of yours. Just can you explain what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, what I mean is that exactly what you said. I think that there must have been a number of studies done like a decade ago or a little less where people were seeing that, you know, if you want to engage with millennials, particularly, you need to be friendly and you need to have a tone that is approachable and colloquial. And I think there have been some companies that have done that very well, but then there's been an overcorrection with a number of other companies that are just infantilizing their listeners or their customers by trying to connect with them with cartoons and with really, really casual language that is but manufactured, childish. Right. Yeah, and it doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel like the brand. And it feels like, it just feels too obvious what they're trying to do. They're trying to say, hey, I'm friendly. We're people, but it it doesn't
0: work for me. Right. There's a subtle difference. and I think we can all understand what it is implicitly, maybe not teach it to others. But there's a subtle difference between trying to prove you're helpful and being helpful. Exactly. Trying to prove that you're friendly and accessible. And, and actually, actually being. being
1: friendly and accessible. Yeah, you're right.
0: And so this infantilization stems from this, I think, In some ways, this misinterpretation of what it means to be, quote unquote, human or treat other people as human. Yeah. Which, by the way, a lot of humans are total buttheads. Whoa. Right? Wow. Sorry to bring out the B word, but- Yeah. So, so if you're if you're if you're acting like a jerk to your audience, like you're still being human to them, right? So you're still being authentic if you're authentically a jerk. So <laughs> yeah. we know we don't even use the right words. If you're to an authentic
1: us. butthead, then <laughs>
0: <laughs> coming next fall for marketing showrunners, our new show, Authentic Buttheads. Oh wow! So I would watch it. <laughs> off the rails. The point I'm trying to make, uh, however diluted it is now, is that when you're trying to approach people as whole people, you have to acknowledge. That we're talking to Molly, she's the managing editor of Marketing Showrunners, and a lot more. We're talking to Jay, he says stuff publicly for a living in some ways. Like He once said this quote, but it's hard to really compress all of his thoughts to just that quote. Or maybe he's come to disagree with it because he's learned and updated his knowledge. Like Everything we're doing is really messy. And yet all the shows, and again, especially in the business context... Any show from any marketer, I think the tendency is to track towards the oversimplification of stuff. A podcast is a wonderful chance to go deep and explore nuance. And I think they they do that really well here. I think so too. I mentioned I'd say something meta. So I think we just did a little bit of that. We talk about what they said. That was the caveats about mental health. One of the things I noticed is at the very end, Sam the guest, says something that it just made the bite delicious. He talked about his own experience and then he elevated to the generality we can all learn from. Mm -hmm. And it gave you closure. And I think as a host, as an interviewer, as a producer, as a guest on the show, if you are providing the content on your own show or you're guesting on someone else's, the tendency is to only really speak in generalities. So the hurdle is to get the specifics. Here's what happened to me. And you can ask, like, can you give me an example? Or just so I understand, Molly, you gave me these details. You did this, then this, then this. What happened next? Like there's ways and tricks tra- of the trade to help people bring out their actual specifics as a subject. Mm-hmm. But when you then lace that with an insight, it becomes this complete moment. So you want what happened, and then you want the emotions and the takeaways. And I think both together make it just somehow delicious. And if you noticed, Sam talked about himself, and then he tried to interpret what the listener might take away from that, Mm -hmm. and I felt complete. It was a really nice moment.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And one thing also I noticed about the structure of this clip that I thought they did very well was how host Darby was taking the time to pause and give signposts to the reader to say, here's what we're going to talk about. And here's, you know, she gave kind of that disclaimer about you are not going to explain the validity of mental health. That's redundant to us, but here's what we're going to do. And she kind of laid an outline of a presentation. And then she gave Sam, the guest, the floor to fill it in. And I think that's really important because When you're listening to a show, to to a podcast, particularly, as you said before, you're not in front of a screen. You might be in front of the road and you might be in front of your kitchen cooking dinner and you're not necessarily listening with 100% of your brain. So having the host sometimes insert themselves to say, okay, here I am. This is really important. And here's what I want you to take away from this can be really helpful. And the listener doesn't even really notice at the time that that's what the host is doing.
0: Yeah. The analogy I always use here because I'm Italian and everything has to come back to food with me. So I speak in 65% analogies because I'm an English lit major, Oh, right? And those analogies happen to be food because I'm Italian. So, (laughs) yep. The analogy I use is think about the difference between writing and podcasting. When you're writing, you're basically handing the whole meal to someone else. You're putting it in front of them and they're kind of like tucking into that meal however they see fit. Because if they want to dance around it a little bit, that's fine. You, You miss something, go back. It's fine. You're reading it. With a podcast, you might put the whole meal down in front of people, but you better sit next to them and spoon feed them every scoop. Because if they miss a bite, it's a linear experience. They're like, "Wait, what just happened? Wait, I'm to- I'm lost. I started to zone out a little bit there." Or like, "Oh, I'm noticing them inserting this weird flex moment." Yeah, right? exactly. This review from their show, you know, that the weird flex section from our wheel, which is totally real, of superlatives, totally real, totally real, real wheel. It's round. It's a round one. <laughs> so we have this like ability to dole out tiny moments in a podcast to get people to the end and ensure they're in flow, which is a new skill because I don't think you need to do that quite as much when you write something. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Last thing I want to say on this clip has to do with the moments we need to acquire from our guests because that's our jobs. We're in extraction mode, not in a uh, manipul. No, actually, we are in manipulative mode, but we're not doing it in a way that's uncomfortable for the guest. But what we're trying to do is get two things out of the guest. We're extracting content out of the guest because we're providing a great end experience for the listener and if we do that everybody wins including the guest right mm-hmm. so it's our job to get good material if they're boring or they lack detail that is not the guest's job you can't be like well they're a corporate jargon monster cuz they're a CMO of a large company if they give you jargon that's not their fault it's yours right it's your job to break it down so here's a few ways to break it down in interviews always think about two types of moments that you need you need the facts to understand the story by the way many of those things can be narrated more quickly and efficiently afterwards sure. that's the power of narration yep so you get the facts of the story it's okay if they meander cuz you can cut in later and get the reflections and the emotions mm. so it's like tell me about what happened and then tell me how you felt
1: and the emotions part i think is important you know you can you can narrate the facts and you can script the facts but you really can't script the emotion for it to feel authentic and i do think that listeners, even if they're not necessarily paying attention with their full brain to the flow of the show and they won't notice if the host inserts themselves and you know gives them a signpost, they will notice and it will be a million red flags if something feels just not quite right, if it doesn't feel authentic, if it feels overdone. right. So when it comes to producing an emotional reaction or capturing that from a guest, you really, I think, need to tread lightly.
0: Yeah. Yes. So, okay. The two groups there again, tell me about And how did it feel when or how did that feel? Great questions you can ask. If you don't get the specifics, can you give me an example? Mm. If you still don't get the specifics, do something that I call put them in a box, which I hinted at earlier. I was basically like, so let me understand. You did this, then this, and this. Or Molly, you just said this, then this, then this. Build the walls of the box. And then what happened next? Or, and then what? Or, so what's the first thing you did? Essentially, create a scenario using real details that you're assuming happened or that they actually gave you. Those are the walls of the box. Then you leave one wall open. You're like, but what happened next? And if they get out of the box, the only way they can go is where you want them to go. And they might correct you. They might say, like, actually, that's not what happened. But either way, you're getting specifics from them. And in a world where people tend to elude giving those specifics.
1: You're like a very tricky lawyer leading the witness exactly where you want them.
0: Yes. And I I think to those people who might be shaking their heads here a little bit, oh, that's too manipulative, spend some time with public radio and the masters at storytelling. I mean, A, they gather hours and hours of tape for a 45-minute episode, but B, they're asking the same question several ways. You just don't hear it. They're giving these scenario-based questions. They are trying to get tape that they think they need up front. They have a plan. They're not just winging it. So having those types of questions can be really, really important. And then in scripting, just ensure you pull out both those moments, the facts of the story, and then the stuff you can't Google, the reflection. All right. So our last clip today, it's basically, it's a scripted aside from the same episode. So the host is saying something scripted, which is when she's discussing our gut reaction to being vulnerable. So that's the moment we're about to hear. She's discussing through a scripted read the listener's tendency to react a certain way to the idea of vulnerability in business. And then she offers a different approach to how we might think about vulnerability.
2: When it comes to being vulnerable, our knee-jerk reaction is to not be. Sharing with others insecurities, fears, and failures sounds like a terrible idea. And it's because we want some type of control over what people think of us. But what's not as easily understood is protecting those things, doing all you can to hide them, is what controls you. Recognizing that all people have insecurities, fears, and failures frees you up to say, oh yeah, me too. Because the reality is, all people do struggle with these things, and it's not that big of a deal. So in saying it, I have failed or I can fail, it loses the control it once had on you, and you end up being empowered by naming it.
1: Okay, so I'm conflicted about this clip because, in terms of the content and the message, I really like it. I think that it's a really solid message, particularly for a brand that is trying to make something that matters more than just selling more of their own product. But I felt like this section just sounded so stilted and scripted. Mm. And I am not, you know advocating for not preparing and for not scripting your shows. I think scripting can be really, really helpful. And I think particularly, you know, we talked about this in the last couple clips, I think having a host who can make the overarching point and can distill the emotions that you've heard from the guests and turn it into a takeaway can be really helpful. But I was distracted from the good message here by how just it it sounded so inauthentic to me. It sounded kind of robotic.
0: So, I mean, true to form of the lessons we tried to impart with our last clip, clip number two, I got to ask you, can you give me an example?
1: Yeah. I feel like the host is almost it's going to be like a terrible thing to say. It's, she's almost too good. She's almost too prepared. And I felt like I could hear that she had written in things like, you know, when she said it was a terrible idea, she had this little half laugh in there and the word terrible. And that sounded like it wasn't something she was actually laughing about. It was like she had written a note You should laugh here.
0: Oh, interesting. So, this, and I'm sorry to keep pulling in this episode from my time as a speaker, but there's a lot of comparisons here because you are performing. Right. No matter if you're just interviewing people or you're reading a script in a podcast, if you host a show, it's an element of performance. So, as a speaker, I was trained under the great Andrew Davis. He rehearses ad nauseum the same speech he's been given for multiple years. Like, he's probably done the same talk thousands of times. A couple hundred of which happened on stages, but the vast majority happened in pieces or end to end in his office, in his hotel room. Right. And so he taught me that the way to be good at it, and I agree, is you rehearse a ton. So a speaker might say, as a pushback to that, well, I don't want to sound rehearsed. In yes. other words, I don't want to sound like this host did. Like, I don't want to sound stilted and overly prepared. And for a while, I was like, huh, that's a good point. Drew recently had a, a chat with me about, like, when I hear that, he's like, what, I, what he usually tells people is, that means you're not prepared. Enough. Mm. In other words, you've gone only so far as to do some rehearsals and it's not so integrated into who you are that you're not natural at it yet. So you're like in this doldrum period. You kind of picture like a bell curve going in the reverse from up to down to back up again. And it's like the authenticity comes when you're not prepared, but you don't want to be ill-prepared. Or it comes from when you're incredibly prepared and you no longer have to consciously think about what you're saying. You can just be. So when you kind
1: of incepted yourself to believe that you're yeah. almost speaking off the cuff when you're not.
0: Very simple phrase to describe this muscle memory. Mm. If I played basketball growing up, if if I had to think about my shooting mechanics before I shot a three pointer, I was not prepared enough. Right. But the, if I prepared more, if I took more practice shots, then It just becomes part of who I am. Right. Really easy example. I was breaking out into hives and cold sweats when you said she probably wrote in the laughter. You have seen me in our shared Google Docs (laughs) right in the laughter. I write in ellipses for pauses, capital letters for emphasis, all of it, right? But I hope to God I don't come across like and the that.
1: And that's thing. That's I don't. I'm not faulting her for doing that. I mean, I think I should make that clear. I don't. It's not something that I'm at all saying should not be part of the script. But I shouldn't, as a listener, be able to hear it.
0: It's reps. I think she's not yet internalized the skill of having it say laugh or haha and being able to pull it off. So it's that doldrum period. It's that part way prepared not so prepared that you're back to just being yourself.
1: Right. Because I, I think she's a really good host. And I think that what she's done is so close. But I did feel like the content of what she was saying didn't gel with the way that she was saying it. And it was she was saying something about being vulnerable. But then I felt like there was a cognitive dissonance between talking about vulnerability and sounding completely scripted and rehearsed.
0: We did an episode on Adobe and their podcast Wireframe. Which is an amazing podcast. It's hosted by a senior director of product design at Adobe, Koi Vin. And Koi wrote a review of our episode on him.
1: We were a little nervous, Jay.
0: I was super nervous. And he took it in stride. He's like, it, it's true. I did feel a little stilted doing my reads and I'm trying to get better at this. And, you know, th- so I just want to throw out this caveat that for folks like Koi and, you know, for the Fresh show and for any show that we review, when we're critical of the host, it's because we're like, here's how to get better at this. And we're all trying to get better at this. Us too. Yeah. I over talk a lot. I know it. I'm trying to work on the soundbite approach, right? Like can I come down and finish my thought a little bit better? Which brings me, by the way, to the next thing I picked out from this clip, which is the way you deliver something, how you say it can be just as, if not more important than what you say, especially on a podcast. So she had some good lessons here, but all I kept hearing, it's funny, I didn't hear the stilted red nature of it necessarily. I heard her kind of going up into her head with her voice and almost doing what, actually what I used to do early on was like, I would try to always justify what I was saying to you, you know, and then it'd be like this, yeah. right? And then like this, right? And I wouldn't say right, but I was kind of implying that. I'd be like, and if you acknowledge failure then it never becomes an issue. Like you hear that tone. I'm always kind of going up and up and up. It's not up speaking, but it's kind of up speaking. And what
1: you can't see as a listener is that Jay is wildly gesticulating right now.
0: Wildly. Again, Italian. Yeah. If I sat on my hands, I would just shut up.
1: <laughs> oh, what? He's
0: sitting on his hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. They can't see that. Okay. Uh, so point being, she does a really good job with what she says. It, we're talking about how she says it. And one way to improve how she says it is you can keep going up and up and up, but your final line needs to come down. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Right. The way I just did that. Yeah. You can keep going up. You can keep doing this. You can keep doing that. And then if we acknowledge it, it's not a boogeyman anymore. It's not a it's not failure. It's a way to improve. And and the only way we're going to get there is if we acknowledge it. Yeah. And so, what she kind of does is she goes the other way. She, if we acknowledge it. And even then, I don't think I I, I have a hard time imitating her. But like she kind of left me thinking there was one more line coming. Yeah. And I was trying to get that, oomph, that period at and the end get, of the sentence. That's what I was
1: going to say. You add the period by going down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, I, you know, I think that that's the one missing piece. Great insights really punch me in the gut. And I think the tone helps you do that. I agree. All right. We're going to move on to our next section. We call this wrinkles. So, Molly, here's a paradox. I don't know if you've considered this before, but once we exceed somebody's expectations with our work, we've now changed their expectations because yes. now that's like the status quo for what we're capable of doing. So the very act of doing something people like, it like makes it harder for us to do something again that they really, really like. So our goal here is consistently reinventing our shows so we can consistently exceed their expectations. And I'm not talking about pulling giant random stunts. The way to avoid stagnation with a show is to create what we call wrinkles, small but refreshing changes on the status quo that you implement all the time every episode. So... We've both come up with a a wrinkle, uh, an idea that we think can help make the show better. They're small changes that if they made them, we think would help reinvent the show and thus exceed our expectations. We've each come up with one. Uh, Molly, why don't you go first?
1: Sure. So I would say, why don't they try playing around with the format of the show? And here's why. I think this show suffers a little bit from being almost too well-planned. So they have this excellent cold open. And then the back and forth between scripted asides and signposts from the host who's saying, hey, I'm here, pay attention to this. And then there are the guests who serve as kind of bullet points that bring these asides to life. So I think the effect of this is an airtight, really serviceable podcast, but it's also one that ends up kind of feeling like a term paper. And I think the best parts of the show are some of the scripted parts, which add depth to the conversations and tease out some of these emotional responses to this pervasive theme. But I also think some of the worst parts of the show are some of the scripted parts which can feel robotic and, and authentic. So for My Wrinkle... I would consider tweaking the format a little bit so we can see a less scripted version of the host. Can she have more banter with the guests? Can they engage in a more natural conversation right now? in these clips that we listened to, she was kind of setting them up and then they talked for a long time and it wasn't a dialogue. So I'd love to listen to some of that, a conversation more between the host who seems really talented and her guests. And for what it's worth, I do think that new host Demona does do more of that kind of organic conversation work and the new season. So just want to put down that caveat.
0: I like that. And I think we're we're unearthing two things that are really common. So one is we keep talking about the way the hosts sound or or even more broadly, the ability the hosts have to earn trust and love. So you know trust is different than love. Trust is when you show up as promised. It's the reliability not only of how or when you show up, but but how the value, right? Love is when you can feel that deeper connection on an emotional level, on a human to human level with a personality, with a peer, with a colleague, with with somebody that's a friend or whatever. And so I I do think a show is uniquely suited to develop both trust and love. And part of that ability is the host's kind of like rapport with the listener, which is a tricky thing to say because you're not actually like you and I are face to face right now in a room. That's not the case when you're hosting a show. You don't know who's listening on the other end, but you have to ensure you feel that way. And it's hard to do that when you're so focused on reading. It's again, it's like you're prepared, but almost not quite enough. So the big thing, number one, is hosts slash the need for reps. Mm -hmm. The second thing is segmentation or kind of like re-engineering the flow of the episode where you, you experiment more with the blocks and the beats. Mm-hmm. We've seen that across the board. Sometimes you need more segmentation, sometimes as with this show, you you correctly pointed out, I think you almost need less scripted segmentation and interjection and more banter based. Mm-hmm. But it's the ability to engineer the format along those lines. My wrinkle is the use of music. Ah, that's a really good one for to this enhance show. moments, yeah, and not distract or feel gimmicky, by the way, which is tricky. So I actually I want to go back and play a clip Um, I'm taking license here. This is not our clip section. You're allowed to do that, though. I guess so. So we're going to go back and let's listen to her last lines in the last clip that we just played. Clip number three. Currently, it was scored with some light music underneath her voice at first. Very subtle. And then the music fades out while she's speaking. She finishes her point. There's a beat or two of silence. And then there's the guest that comes in. So it goes her voice, silence, subject. So let's just play that back.
2: So in saying it, I have failed, or I can fail, it loses the control it once had on you, and you end up being empowered by naming it.
0: Okay, so the reason I wanted to play that, the moment of silence is a good idea, and I think we should use silence more, because it raises anticipation, and it helps previous points sink in, and all this good stuff. The problem is it came as such a surprise to me. That it's like, again, snapping a listener out of their flow, a Mm -hmm. point we've made a couple times. And like you notice the editing a little bit more than just absorb what was previously said. And you can even go, wait, why did they stop? Is it over? Is there an issue? Like, should I look at my phone to check? And so I think that moment as edited could work. But there's one small change, this wrinkle that they could make to ensure it really works. Like, I think there's a better combination which uses the music to enhance the moment and cement the feeling. That's key. That's why you have a pause. You're trying to cement the feeling and the understanding. So the music can build as her voice builds. And then she finishes and lands, hopefully, with that punctuated definite, right? right, right, This the the, the final sentence. But then the music should keep playing a few beats all alone Mm. at regular volume. That'd be nice. In other words, not softly like it was under her voice. It comes back to regular volume to match the previous spoken word and alone. And what this does, and ideally the music would end on a crescendo or a nice note, or maybe it fades out entirely, but it carries the same emotional plane for the listener as the previous words a little bit further and allows those words and that feeling to really get absorbed. And I'm only talking like two to five seconds of music playing alone, right? Followed by then the subject cutting in after the music has ended. And it's this nice, neat moment. Just so people get it, I kind of want to try and experiment, actually. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to perform a paragraph describing our show, three clips. And I'm going to do the first version of this paragraph, just like the fresh books edit. And the second version with the music, the, the wrinkle that I'm asking them to try. So here's the first version. And I'm going to use some of the tone of voice that she ends with. She kind of, again, the up speak a little sure. bit. So, so here's the first version. When we as marketers make podcasts, it's tempting to treat it like any other content. We treat it like pieces instead of what it is, a show. We don't connect the episodes or the overarching theme into a journey, and we measure it with top-line, even vanity metrics. But here's the thing. Podcasts are about resonance, not reach. In a world of content getting more shallow, this is our chance to go deeper. And that's the exact missing piece in our marketing because so often we're focused on the wrong things. Remember, Great marketing, like a podcast, isn't about who arrives. It's about who stays. Okay, so, so there's the, the silence. And, and it, hopefully it works. I think I, I tried to not come down at a punctuated who stays because yep. she doesn't. But I think the pause works. It carries the moment. And then the guest starts to speak, right? So now, now let's do the slight wrinkle. Let me read that back and I'll try to punctuate. Let me, I'll, actually, you know what? I'm going to splice in the same exact read in post. I'm gonna take the same paragraph I just read to you, the listener, but we're gonna add the music later. And here's how that sounds. Great idea. All right, here we go. When we as marketers make podcasts, it's tempting to treat it like any other content. We treat it like pieces instead of what it is, a show. We don't connect the episodes or the overarching theme into a journey, and we measure it with top line, even vanity metrics. But here's the thing. Podcasts are about resonance, not reach. In a world of content getting more shallow, This is our chance to go deeper. And that's the exact missing piece in our marketing because so often we're focused on the wrong things. Remember, great marketing, like a podcast, isn't about who arrives, it's about who stays. And then the guest comes in here. Do you feel the difference though? Mm -hmm, You know what I mean? Definitely do. Okay. So now it's time for our final section, which is our final scores. Is the show defensible? Is it unique? Did they create brand IP? In other words, something that people would stick with that's, that's proprietary to them. It, it would pass the t-shirt test. You could put it on, on a t-shirt or a sticker. And to score our shows, we use a very complicated system of no real system, as well as an unhealthy amount of time that we both spend reviewing marketers' podcasts. So now let's decide once and for all where this show fits In the pantheon of popular podcasts, the Shrine of Shining Shows, and most importantly, the Cathedral of Content Customers Crave.
1: In the Cathedral of Content Customers Crave, I would put this show at a six. And I think that this show is honestly, it's head and shoulders above so many others in terms of the basics. It has really strong production. It has inherent understanding of the medium, has thoughtful scripting and concepting. It, it gets what it's trying to do and it's doing it pretty well. But in terms of the auditory experience, I think what FreshBooks is missing is a fresh feeling. Much of this feels overproduced and sometimes canned. And I think it's a concept that has tons of promise for a company that's empowering small business owners. But I'd also weirdly like to see a little bit more self-referentiality so that we understand this is a podcast from FreshBooks, not just a podcast for entrepreneurs.
0: Right, because there's a million of those.
1: Right. And I think, you know, I recently started my own business. And so I've been thinking, what are the things that, you know, as a creative that are most scary to me? And accounting is right up there on the list. So I would love if there was some kind of segment in the show about, you know, what are the financial implications of failure for this particular episode? How can you recalibrate when you've lost money? It doesn't have to be an advertisement for fresh books and for their software, but it could assert some of their expertise a little bit more clearly because otherwise it ends up being A show that could be really by any brand. We've talked about that before. But it's also kind of an overdone concept because there are tons of companies and tons of individuals who are speaking about the challenges in running a business. If
0: you white label the show, how do we know it's from FreshBooks? I think we're all so good at thinking about what topics, whether this is just an easier thing to decide or it's born of our desire to do a lot of blog content and look at keywords first. I don't know where this impulse comes from. We're really good at thinking what topics. And while that's necessary, it's insufficient to decide on the premise for your show.
1: And to give FreshBook some credit, I mean, it seems to me like what they're trying to do is say what matters. And I think in terms of you know the other episodes I've seen from the show, I do think they're not necessarily just saying what, what's going to rank. I think they're saying what will resonate with the people who are our target audience. But it does, to me, it feels like it's missing this final small piece that could link it back to their own
0: company. Right. I worked with this company that sells to IT professionals, people that run their own businesses, and they're essentially external or outsourced agencies that come in and work with a corporation on their IT. And the hardest thing for their business is managing the business side, not the technical side, because they're in IT. So this company provides software to help IT pros manage their businesses. Okay? Yep. So they could talk about all the topics like accounting, like hiring and firing, like managing people, all that stuff. But what they decided to do was they created a a concept called non-tech support Mm. instead of tech support, right? It's a play on it. But the reason is, so why are those the topics that you're going to explore? Well, it's because we as a business have this unique belief, this point of view, that actually being great as an IT pro has nothing to do with technology and everything to do with people. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense to me. There's a core <laughs> belief. They can tie it back to their core belief. So what about FreshBooks? Like, you, yes, they believe in helping individuals earn a living. So do all their competitors, right? They believe in entrepreneurship. So do a million people. So I agree. I want that unique thrust, that last little thing that turns it from a great show objectively to actually a more subjective vehicle and it's only capable of being created by this organization.
1: Right, cuz I think they do have value, but they're right now they're creating value by just trying to create a community which feels a little flat to me, but I think that they could really pack more of a punch by talking more about themselves.
0: Right. And so actually I was right in line with you. I'm looking at my notes here. I had it at a 6.5. Um I think it it reels you in because it's quality content, but then you're left wondering, yeah, how is it them and am I really building trust with an individual? Like who is this host? You know, let me in a little bit more, not only to the host and her life, but also to the organization and their beliefs. And you know, if you notice, I'm actually really generous scoring shows like Inside Trader Joe's where the show is definitely not for me, but it's undeniably their show. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, I'll give them tons of points for that because it's their point of view. It's their show. No one else could make that show. And a relationship with the host really forms. If you can't go deeper with the people behind a medium defined by voice, I mean, that's what this is, right? Yes. And so, you know, I kind of knock off some points for that because it's a letter of the law show. It's a quote-unquote quality program. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. It's hard to pull off, right? They do such a good job at Fresh Books. But there's that level deeper that makes it kind of like a an advantage to the brand right their, their favorite show yeah, and I was so just gonna say, it's yeah, so it.
1: close to being a favorite show but right now i don't know why i would choose this show over a show from any other company that's talking about entrepreneurship right
0: right and so you know the goal here is you stick and stay with the show you fall in love with the format and yeah the topics are part of that but you fall in love because you understand the point of view and agree with it and you go deeper with the talent And time and time again, you come back and there's your familiar voice. There's the talent. And to create a podcast that essentially doesn't do anything but maximize the people involved is a missed opportunity. And, you know, because make no mistake here, I I think who we are as people is the only thing that no one else has access to. So who we are is, is our unfair advantage. And the question I'd ask everybody to think about as we end the episode is, are we using that advantage fully in our work? Thank you to Molly Donovan for joining me on this episode. Thank you, Jay. Thank you to Contently for sponsoring this episode too. Contently offers what I think is the most entertaining content strategy course, a perfect blend of care for the craft and the creative and the strategy and the distribution. And you can support our show and check out the course at contently.com slash three clips, form fill required. This episode was mixed by Johnny Peterson and Straight Up Podcasts. A final reminder to please subscribe to our newsletter, MSR Monthly, where once a month, you get a brand new insight just like the stuff we're sharing here, but it's found nowhere else but that newsletter. And we also do a roundup of our most popular blog and podcast content. So you can go to marketingshowrunners.com and click the subscribe button on any page or check your show notes for the link. I'm Jay Akunzo,
1: And I'm Molly Donovan.
0: And we both believe great marketing isn't about who arrives. It's about who stays. So thanks for staying with us. And we'll talk to you this coming Monday on the next episode of Three Clips. See ya.
1: This week's recommended read from the Marketing Showrunners blog is an article titled, Factor Fiction. Your industry is too boring for a podcast or video show. Too many marketers or execs think a show isn't the right medium for their company because their industry is just too boring to support a show. Now, if FreshBooks had had that attitude, they never would have made, I make a living. Learn more about why no industry, that's right, exactly zero industries, are too boring for a show. That's fact or fiction. Your industry is too boring for a podcast or video show. Click the link at the end of your show notes or search the blog at marketingshowrunners.com.
0: Hey, Jay here. Uh, I wanted to make one quick correction to this episode. Turns out that on our third clip, I had incorrectly mentioned that FreshBooks did not play any music after the voiceover ended and before the guests cut in. They did play some music. It was soft, a little bit difficult to hear. But mostly, this is a lesson for me to, you know, not listen to the podcast we review while flying in an airplane, no matter how uh, supposedly noise-canceling my headphones are. So anyways, just wanted to point that out, uh, and I hope the lessons still apply and still help teach something. Uh, But sorry, FreshBooks. You did a great job scoring that episode. All right, that's it for me. See ya.